Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast about gothic literature. Join us as we listen to spooky stories and stories that I, I, I don't... Ow. This hurts my voice. Hey, everyone. This is D.B. Spitzer. This is recorded at the KZOM Studios in Oleander, Oregon. This We're going to be going with uh, Matthew Lewis's The Monk. I'm not sure if we have anyone talking about this this month, but... This is gothic literature. This is one of those old school goth lit stories that, you know, this is gothic literature. So check it out. The Monk, uh, read by J.R. White. I can't remember who it is. I just edited this and heard it a billion times. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Black Clock Audio Tales, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Radio Free Oleander, PGTTCM.com. Rate, review, subscribe, check out the podcast, and look for us online. Recording by James K. White. The Monk, A Romance, by Matthew Gregory Lewis. Chapter 10, Part 1. Oh, could I worship aught beneath the skies that earth hath seen or fancy could devise? Thine altar, sacred liberty, should stand built by no mercenary vulgar hand with fragrant turf and flowers as wild and fair as ever dressed a bank or scented summer air. Cooper His whole attention bent upon bringing to justice the assassins of his sister, Lorenzo little thought how severely his interest was suffering in another quarter. As was before mentioned, he returned not to Madrid till the evening of that day on which Antonia was buried. Signifying to the Grand Inquisitor the order of the Cardinal Duke, a ceremony not to be neglected when a member of the church was to be arrested publicly, communicating his design to his uncle and Don Ramirez, and assembling a troop of attendants sufficient to prevent opposition, furnished him with full occupation during the few hours preceding midnight. Consequently, he had no opportunity to inquire about his mistress, and was perfectly ignorant both of her death and her mother's. The Marquise was by no means out of danger. His delirium was gone, but had left him so much exhausted that the physicians declined pronouncing upon the consequences likely to ensue. As for Raymond himself, he wished for nothing more earnestly than to join Agnes in the grave. Existence was hateful to him. He saw nothing in the world deserving his attention, and he hoped to hear that Agnes was revenged and himself given over in the same moment. Followed by Raymond's ardent prayers for success, Lorenzo was at the gates of St. Clair a full hour before the time appointed by the mother St. Ursula. He was accompanied by his uncle, by Don Ramirez de Mello, and a party of chosen archers. Though in considerable numbers their appearance created no surprise, a great crowd was already assembled before the convent doors in order to witness the procession. It was naturally supposed that Lorenzo and his attendants were conducted thither by the same design. The Duke of Medina being recognized, the people drew back and made way for his party to advance. Lorenzo placed himself opposite to the great gate through which the pilgrims were to pass. Convinced that the prioress could not escape him, he waited patiently for her appearance, which she was expected to make exactly at midnight. The nuns were employed in religious duties established in honor of St. Clair, and to which no profane was ever admitted. 
the chapel windows were illuminated as they stood on the outside the auditors heard the full swell of the organ accompanied by a chorus of female voices rise upon the stillness of the night this died away and was succeeded by a single strain of harmony it was the voice of her who was destined to sustain in the procession the character of saint clair for this office the most beautiful virgin of madrid was always selected and she upon whom the choice fell esteemed it as the highest of honors while listening to the music whose melody distance only seemed to render sweeter the audience was wrapped up in profound attention universal silence prevailed through the crowd and every heart was filled with reverence for religion every heart but lorenzo's conscious that among those who chanted the praises of their god so sweetly there were some who cloaked with devotion the foulest sins their hymns inspired him with detestation at their hypocrisy he had long observed with disapprobation and contempt the superstition which governed madrid's inhabitants his good sense had pointed out to him the artifices of the monks and the gross absurdity of their miracles wonders and suppositious relics he blushed to see his countrymen the dupes of deceptions so ridiculous and only wished for an opportunity to free them from their monkish fetters that opportunity so long desired in vain was at length presented to him he resolved not to let it slip but to set before the people in glaring colors how enormous were the abuses but too frequently practiced in monasteries and how unjustly public esteem was bestowed indiscriminately upon all who wore a religious habit he longed for the moment destined to unmask the hypocrites and convince his countrymen that a sanctified exterior does not always hide a virtuous heart the service lasted till midnight was announced by the convent bell that sound being heard the music ceased the voices died away softly and soon after the lights disappeared from the chapel windows lorenzo's heart beat high when he found the execution of his plan to be at hand from the natural superstition of the people he had prepared himself for some resistance but he trusted that the mother saint ursula would bring good reasons to justify his proceeding he had force with him to repel the first impulse of the populace till his arguments should be heard his only fear was lest the domina suspecting his design should have spirited away the nun on whose deposition everything depended unless the mother saint ursula should be present he could only accuse the prioress upon suspicion and this reflection gave him some little apprehension for the success of his enterprise the tranquillity which seemed to reign through the convent in some degree reassured him still he expected the moment eagerly when the presence of his ally should deprive him of the power of doubting the abbey of capuchins was only separated from the convent by the garden and cemetery the monks had been invited to assist at the pilgrimage they now arrived marching two by two with lighted torches in their hands and chanting hymns in honor of st clair father pablos was at their head the abbot having excused himself from attending the people made way for the holy train and the friars placed themselves in ranks on either side of the great gates a few minutes sufficed to arrange the order of the procession this being settled the convent doors were thrown open and again the female chorus sounded in full melody 
first appeared a band of choristers. As soon as they had passed, the monks fell in two by two, and followed with steps slow and measured. Next came the novices. They bore no tapers, as did the professed, but moved on with eyes bent downwards, and seemed to be occupied by telling their beads. To them succeeded a young and lovely girl, who represented St. Lucia. She held a golden basin, in which were two eyes. Her own were covered by a velvet bandage, and she was conducted by another nun, habited as an angel. She was followed by St. Catherine, a palm branch in one hand, a flaming sword in the other. She was robed in white, and her brow was ornamented with a sparkling diadem. After her appeared St. Genevieve, surrounded by a number of imps, who, putting themselves into grotesque attitudes, drawing her by the robe and sporting round her with antic gestures, endeavored to distract her attention from the book on which her eyes were constantly fixed. These merry devils greatly entertained the spectators, who testified their pleasure, by repeated bursts of laughter. The prioress had been careful to select a nun whose disposition was naturally solemn and saturnine. She had every reason to be satisfied with her choice. The drolleries of the imps were entirely thrown away, and St. Genevieve moved on without discomposing a muscle. Each of these saints were separated from the other by a band of choristers, exalting her praise in their hymns, but declaring her to be very much inferior to St. Clair, the convent's avowed patroness. These having passed, a long train of nuns appeared, bearing, like the choristers, each a burning taper. Next came the relics of St. Clair, enclosed in vases equally precious for their materials and workmanship. But they attracted not Lorenzo's attention. The nun who bore the heart occupied him entirely. According to Theodore's description, he doubted not her being the mother St. Ursula. She seemed to look round with anxiety. As he stood foremost in the rank by which the procession passed, her eye caught Lorenzo's. A flush of joy overspread her till then pallid cheek. She turned to her companion eagerly. "'We are safe,' he heard her whisper. "'Tis her brother.' His heart being now at ease, Lorenzo gazed with tranquillity upon the remainder of the show. Now appeared its most brilliant ornament. It was a machine fashioned like a throne, rich with jewels and dazzling with light. It rolled onwards upon concealed wheels, and was guided by several lovely children dressed as seraphs. The summit was covered with silver clouds upon which reclined the most beautiful form that eyes ever witnessed. It was a damsel representing St. Clair. Her dress was of inestimable price, and round her head a wreath of diamonds formed an artificial glory. But all these ornaments yielded to the luster of her charms. As she advanced, a murmur of delight ran through the crowd. Even Lorenzo confessed secretly that he never beheld more perfect beauty and had not his heart been Antonia's, it must have fallen a sacrifice to this enchanting girl. As it was, he considered her only as a fine statue. She obtained from him no tribute save cold admiration, and when she had passed him, he thought of her no more. "'Who is she?' asked a bystander in Lorenzo's hearing. "'One whose beauty you must often have heard celebrated. 
Her name is Virginia de Villafranca. She is a pensioner of St. Clair's Convent, a relation of the prioress, and has been selected with justice as the ornament of the procession. The throne moved onwards. It was followed by the prioress herself. She marched at the head of the remaining nuns with a devout and sanctified air, and closed the procession. She moved on slowly. Her eyes were raised to heaven. Her countenance, calm and tranquil, seemed abstracted from all sublunary things, and no feature betrayed her secret pride at displaying the pomp and opulence of her convent. She passed along, accompanied by the prayers and benedictions of the populace. But how great was the general confusion and surprise when Don Ramirez, starting forward, challenged her as his prisoner. For a moment, amazement held the as silent and immovable. But no sooner did she recover herself than she exclaimed against sacrilege and impiety, and called upon the people to rescue a daughter of the church. They were eagerly preparing to obey her when Don Ramirez, protected by the archers from their rage, commanded them to forbear and threatened them with the severest vengeance of the Inquisition. At that dreaded word, every arm fell, every sword shrunk back into its scabbard. The prioress herself turned pale and trembled. The general silence convinced her that she had nothing to hope but from innocence, and she besought Don Ramirez in a faltering voice to inform her of what crime she was accused. "'That you shall know in time,' replied he. "'But first I must secure the mother St. Ursula.' "'The mother St. Ursula?' repeated the domina faintly. At this moment, casting her eyes round, she saw Lorenzo and the duke, who had followed Don Ramirez. "'Ah, great God!' she cried, clasping her hands together with a frantic air. I am betrayed. Betrayed, replied St. Ursula, who now arrived, conducted by some of the archers, and followed by the nun, her companion, in the procession. Not betrayed, but discovered. In me recognize your accuser. You know not how well I am instructed in your guilt, Señor, she continued, turning to Don Ramirez. I commit myself to your custody. I charge the prioress of St. Clair with murder, and stake my life for the justice of my accusation. A general cry of surprise was uttered by the whole audience, and an explanation was loudly demanded. The trembling nuns, terrified at the noise and universal confusion, had dispersed and fled different ways. Some regained the convent, others sought refuge in the dwellings of their relations, and many, only sensible of their present danger, and anxious to escape from the tumult, ran through the streets and wandered they knew not whither. The lovely Virginia was one of the first to fly, and in order that she might be better seen and heard, the people desired that St. Ursula should harangue them from the vacant throne. The nun complied. She ascended the glittering machine and then addressed the surrounding multitude as follows. However strange and unseemly may appear my conduct when considered to be adopted by a female and a nun, necessity will justify it most fully. A secret a horrible secret, weighs heavy upon my soul. No rest can be mine till I have revealed it to the world, and satisfied that innocent blood which calls from the grave for vengeance. Much have I dared to gain this opportunity of lightening my conscience. Had I failed in my attempt to reveal the crime, 
had the domina but suspected that the mystery was known to me my ruin was inevitable angels who watch unceasingly over those who deserve their favor have enabled me to escape detection i am now at liberty to relate a tale whose circumstances will freeze every honest soul with horror mine is the task to rend the veil from hypocrisy and show misguided parents to what dangers the woman is exposed who falls under the sway of a monastic tyrant among the votaries of st clair none was more lovely none more gentle than agnes de medina i knew her well she entrusted to me every secret of her heart i was her friend and confidant and i loved her with sincere affection nor was i singular in my attachment her piety unfeigned her willingness to oblige and her angelic disposition rendered her the darling of all that was estimable in the convent the prioress herself proud scrupulous and forbidding could not refuse agnes that tribute of approbation which she bestowed upon no one else every one has some fault alas agnes had her weakness she violated the laws of our order and incurred the inveterate hate of the unforgiving domina st clair's rules are severe but grown antiquated and neglected many of late years have either been forgotten or changed by universal consent into milder punishments the penance adjudged to the crime of agnes was most cruel most inhuman the law had been long exploded alas it still existed and the revengeful prioress now determined to revive it this law decreed that the offender should be plunged into a private dungeon expressly constituted to hide from the world forever the victim of cruelty and tyrannic superstition in this dreadful abode she was to lead a perpetual solitude deprived of all society and believed to be dead by those whom affection might have prompted to attempt her rescue thus was she to languish out the remainder of her days with no other food than bread and water and no other comfort than the free indulgence of her tears the indignation created by this account was so violent as for some moments to interrupt st ursula's narrative when the disturbance ceased and silence again prevailed through the assembly she continued her discourse while at every word the domina's countenance betrayed her increasing terrors a council of the twelve elder nuns was called i was of the number the prioress in exaggerated colors described the offence of agnes and scrupled not to propose the revival of this almost forgotten law to the shame of our sex be it spoken that either so absolute was the domina's will in the convent or so much had disappointment solitude and self-denial hardened their hearts and soured their tempers this barbarous proposal was assented to by nine voices out of the twelve i was not one of the nine frequent opportunities had convinced me of the virtues of agnes and i loved and pitied her most sincerely the mothers bertha and cornelia joined my party we made the strongest opposition possible and the superior found herself compelled to change her intention in spite of the majority in her favor she feared to break with us openly she knew that supported by the medina family our forces would be too strong for her to cope with and she also knew that after being once imprisoned and supposed dead should agnes be discovered her ruin would be inevitable 
she therefore gave up her design though with much reluctance she demanded some days to reflect upon a mode of punishment which might be agreeable to the whole community and she promised that as soon as her resolution was fixed the same council should be again summoned two days passed away on the evening of the third it was announced that on the next day agnes should be examined and that according to her behavior on that occasion her punishment should be either strengthened or mitigated on the night preceding this examination i stole to the cell of agnes at an hour when i supposed the other nuns to be buried in sleep i comforted her to the best of my power i bade her take courage told her to rely upon the support of her friends and taught her certain signs by which i might instruct her to answer the domina's questions by an assent or negative conscious that her enemy would strive to confuse embarrass and daunt her i feared her being ensnared into some confession prejudicial to her interest being anxious to keep my visit secret i stayed with agnes but a short time i bade her not to let her spirits be cast down i mingled my tears with those which streamed down her cheek embraced her fondly and was on the point of retiring when i heard the sound of steps approaching the cell i started back a curtain which veiled a large crucifix offered me a retreat and i hastened to place myself behind it the door opened the prioress entered followed by four other nuns they advanced towards the bed of agnes the superior reproached her with her errors in the bitterest terms she told her that she was a disgrace to the convent that she was resolved to deliver the world and herself from such a monster and commanded her to drink the contents of a goblet now presented to her by one of the nuns aware of the fatal properties of the liquor and trembling to find herself upon the brink of eternity the unhappy girl strove to excite the dominus pity by the most affecting prayers she sued for life in terms which might have melted the heart of a fiend she promised to submit patiently to any punishment to shame imprisonment and torture might she but be permitted to live oh she might but live another month or week or day her merciless enemy listened to her complaints unmoved she told her that at first she meant to have spared her life and that if she had altered her intention she had to thank the opposition of her friends she continued to insist upon her swallowing the poison she bade her recommend herself to the almighty's mercy not to hers and assured her that in an hour she would be numbered with the dead perceiving that it was vain to implore this unfeeling woman she attempted to spring from her bed and call for assistance she hoped if she could not escape the fate announced to her at least to have witnesses of the violence committed the prioress guessed her design she seized her forcibly by the arm and pushed her back upon her pillow at the same time drawing a dagger and placing it at the breast of the unfortunate agnes she protested that if she uttered a single cry or hesitated a single moment to drink the poison she would pierce her heart that instant already half dead with fear she could make no further resistance the nun approached with the fatal goblet the domina obliged her to take it and swallow the contents she drank and the horrid deed was accomplished the nuns then seated themselves round the bed they answered her groans with reproaches they interrupted with sarcasms the prayers in which she recommended her parting soul to mercy they threatened her with heaven's vengeance and eternal perdition 
they bade her despair of pardon and strewed with yet sharper thorns death's painful pillow such were the sufferings of this young unfortunate till released by fate from the malice of her tormentors she expired in horror of the past in fears for the future and her agonies were such as must have amply gratified the hate and vengeance of her enemies as soon as her victim ceased to breathe the domina retired and was followed by her accomplices it was now that i ventured from my concealment i dared not to assist my unhappy friend aware that without preserving her i should only have brought on myself this same destruction shocked and terrified beyond expression at this horrid scene scarcely had i sufficient strength to regain my cell as i reached the door of that of agnes i ventured to look towards the bed on which lay her lifeless body once so lovely and so sweet i breathed a prayer for her departed spirit and vowed to revenge her death by the shame and punishment of her assassins with danger and difficulty i have kept my oath i unwarily dropped some words at the funeral of agnes while thrown off my guard by excessive grief which alarmed the guilty conscience of the prioress my every action was observed my every step was traced i was instantly surrounded by the superior's spies it was long before i could find means of conveying to the unhappy girl's relations an intimation of my secret it was given out that agnes had expired suddenly this account was credited not only by her friends in madrid but even by those within the convent the poison had left no marks upon her body no one suspected the true cause of her death and it remained unknown to all save the assassins and myself i have no more to say for what i have already said i will answer with my life i repeat that the prioress is a murderess that she has driven from the world perhaps from heaven an unfortunate whose offence was light and venial that she has abused the power entrusted to her hands and has been a tyrant a barbarian and a hypocrite i also accuse the four nuns violante camilla alix and mariana as being her accomplices and equally criminal here st ursula ended her narrative it created horror and surprise throughout but when she related the inhuman murder of agnes the indignation of the mob was so audibly testified that it was scarcely possible to hear the conclusion this confusion increased with every moment at length a multitude of voices exclaimed that the prioress should be given up to their fury to this don ramirez positively refused to consent even lorenzo bade the people remember that she had undergone no trial and advised them to leave her punishment to the inquisition all representations were fruitless the disturbance grew still more violent and the populace more exasperated in vain did ramirez attempt to convey his prisoner out of the throng wherever he turned a band of rioters barred his passage and demanded her being delivered over to them more loudly than before ramirez ordered his attendants to cut their way through the multitude oppressed by numbers it was impossible to draw their swords he threatened the mob with the vengeance of the inquisition but in this moment of popular frenzy even this dreadful name had lost its effect though regret for his sister made him look upon the prioress lorenzo could not help pitying a woman in a situation so terrible but in spite of all his exertions and those of the duke of don ramirez and the archers 
the people continued to press onwards. They forced a passage through the guards who protected their destined victim, dragged her from her shelter, and proceeded to take upon her a most summary and cruel vengeance. Wild with terror and scarcely knowing what she said, the wretched woman shrieked for a moment's mercy. She protested that she was innocent of the death of Agnes and could clear herself from the suspicion beyond the power of doubt. The rioters heeded nothing but the gratification of their barbarous vengeance. They refused to listen to her. They showed her every sort of insult, loaded her with mud and filth, and called her by the most opprobrious appellations. They tore her one from another, and each new tormentor was more savage than the former. They stifled with howls and execrations her shrill cries for mercy, and dragged her through the streets, spurning her, trampling her, and treating her with every species of cruelty which hate or vindictive fury could invent. At length a flint, aimed by some well-directing hand, struck her full upon the temple. She sank upon the ground, bathed in blood, and in a few minutes terminated her miserable existence. Yet, though she no longer felt their insults, the rioters still exercised their impotent rage upon her lifeless body. They beat it, trod upon it, and ill-used it till it became no more than a mass of flesh, unsightly, shapeless, and disgusting. Unable to prevent this shocking event, Lorenzo and his friends had beheld it with the utmost horror. But they were roused from their compelled inactivity on hearing that the mob were attacking the convent of St. Clair. The incensed populace, confounding the innocent with the guilty, had resolved to sacrifice all the nuns of that order to their rage, and not to leave one stone of the building upon another. Alarmed at this intelligence, they hastened to the convent, resolved to defend it if possible, or at least to rescue the inhabitants from the fury of the rioters. Most of the nuns had fled, but a few still remained in their habitation. Their situation was truly dangerous. However, as they had taken the precaution of fastening the inner gates, with this assistance Lorenzo hoped to repel the mob till Don Ramirez should return to him with a more sufficient force. Having been conducted by the former disturbance to the distance of some streets from the convent, he did not immediately reach it. When he arrived, the throng surrounding it was so excessive as to prevent his approaching the gates. In the interim, the populace besieged the building with persevering rage. They battered the walls, threw lighted torches in at the windows, and swore that by break of day not a nun of St. Clair's order should be left alive. Lorenzo had just succeeded in piercing his way through the crowd when one of the gates was forced open. The rioters poured into the interior part of the building, where they exercised their vengeance upon everything which found itself in their passage. They broke the furniture into pieces, tore down the pictures, destroyed the relics, and in their hatred of her servant forgot all respect to the saint. Some employed themselves in searching out the nuns, others in pulling down parts of convent, and others again in setting fire to the pictures and valuable furniture which it contained. These latter produced the most decisive desolation. Indeed, the consequences of their action were more sudden than themselves had expected or wished. The flames, rising from the burning piles, caught part of the building, which, being old and dry, the conflagration spread with rapidity from room to room. The walls were soon shaken by the devouring element. The columns gave way, the roofs came tumbling down upon the rioters and crushed many of them beneath their weight. 
nothing was to be heard but shrieks and groans the convent was wrapped in flames and the whole presented a scene of devastation and horror lorenzo was shocked at having been the cause however innocent of this frightful disturbance he endeavored to repair his fault by protecting the helpless inhabitants of the convent he entered it with the mob and exerted himself to repress the prevailing fury till the sudden and alarming progress of the flames compelled him to provide for his own safety the people now hurried out as eagerly as they had before thronged in but their numbers clogging up the doorway and the fire gaining upon them rapidly many of them perished ere they had time to effect their escape lorenzo's good fortune directed him to a small door in a farther aisle of the chapel the bolt was already undrawn he opened the door and found himself at the foot of st clair's sepulchre here he stopped to breathe the duke and some of his attendants had followed him and thus were in security for the present they now consulted what steps they should take to escape from this scene of disturbance but their deliberations were considerably interrupted by the sight of volumes of fire rising from amidst the convent's massy walls by the noise of some heavy arch tumbling down in ruins or by the mingled shrieks of the nuns and rioters either suffocating in the press perishing in the flames or crushed beneath the weight of the falling mansion lorenzo inquired whither the wicket led he was answered to the garden of the capuchins and it was resolved to explore an outlet upon that side accordingly the duke raised the latch and passed into the adjoining cemetery the attendants followed without ceremony lorenzo being the last was also on the point of quitting the colonnade when he saw the door of the sepulchre open softly someone looked out but on perceiving strangers uttered a loud shriek started back again and flew down the marble stairs what can this mean cried lorenzo here is some mystery concealed follow me without delay thus saying he hastened into the sepulchre and pursued the person who continued to fly before him the duke knew not the cause of this exclamation but supposing that he had good reasons for it followed him without hesitation the others did the same and the whole party soon arrived at the foot of the stairs the upper door having been left open the neighboring flames darted from above a sufficient light to enable lorenzo's catching a glance of the fugitive running through the long passages and distant vaults but when a sudden turn deprived him of this assistance total darkness succeeded and he could only trace the object of his inquiry by the faint echo of retiring feet the pursuers were now compelled to proceed with caution as well as they could judge the fugitive also seemed to slacken pace for they heard the steps follow each other at longer intervals they at length were bewildered by the labyrinth of passages and dispersed in various directions carried away by his eagerness to clear up this mystery and to penetrate into which he was impelled by a movement secret and unaccountable lorenzo heeded not this circumstance till he found himself in total solitude the noise of footsteps had ceased all was silent around and no clue offered itself to guide him to the flying person he stopped to reflect on the means most likely to aid his pursuit he was persuaded that no common cause would have induced the fugitive to seek that dreary place at an hour so unusual the cry which he had heard seemed uttered in a voice of terror 
and he was convinced that some mystery was attached to this event. After some minutes passed in hesitation, he continued to proceed, feeling his way along the walls of the passage. He had already passed some time in this slow progress, when he decried a spark of light glimmering at a distance. Guided by this observation, and having drawn his sword, he bent his steps towards the place whence the beam seemed to be emitted. It proceeded from the lamp which flamed before St. Clair's statue. Before it stood several females, their white garments streaming in the blast, as it howled along the vaulted dungeons. Curious to know what had brought them together in this melancholy spot, Lorenzo drew near with precaution. The strangers seemed earnestly engaged in conversation. They heard not Lorenzo's steps, and he approached unobserved, till he could hear their voices distinctly. "'I protest,' continued she, who was speaking when he arrived, and to whom the rest were listening with great attention. "'I protest that I saw them with my own eyes. I flew down the steps, they pursued me, and I escaped falling into their hands with difficulty. Had it not been for the lamp, I should never have found you.' "'And what could bring them hither?' said another in a trembling voice. "'Do you think that they were looking for us?' "'God grant that my fears may be false,' rejoined the first, "'but I doubt they are murderers. "'If they discover us, we are lost. "'As for me, my fate is certain. "'My affinity to the prioress will be a sufficient crime to condemn me, "'and though till now these vaults have afforded me a retreat.' "'Here, looking up, her eye fell upon Lorenzo, "'who had continued to approach slowly. "'The murderers!' she cried. She started away from the statue's pedestal on which she had been seated and attempted to escape by flight. Her companions at the same moment uttered a terrified scream while Lorenzo arrested the fugitive by the arm. Frightened and desperate, she sank upon her knees before him. "'Spare me!' she exclaimed. "'For Christ's sake, spare me! I am innocent! Indeed I am!' While she spoke, her voice was almost choked with fear. The beams of the lamp darting full upon her face, which was unveiled, Lorenzo recognized the beautiful Virginia de Villafranca. He hastened to raise her from the ground and besought her to take courage. He promised to protect her from the rioters, assured her that her retreat was still a secret, and that she might depend upon his readiness to defend her to the last drop of his blood. During this conversation the nuns had thrown themselves into various attitudes. One knelt and addressed herself to heaven, another hid her face in the lap of her neighbor. Some listened motionless with fear to the discourse of the supposed assassin, while others embraced the statue of St. Clair and implored her protection with frantic cries. On perceiving their mistake, they crowded round Lorenzo and heaped benedictions on him by dozens. He found that on hearing the threats of the mob, and terrified by the cruelties which from the convent towers they had seen inflicted on the superior, many of the pensioners and nuns had taken refuge in the sepulchre. Among the former was to be reckoned the lovely Virginia. Nearly related to the prioress, she had more reason than the rest to dread the rioters, and now besought Lorenzo earnestly not to abandon her to their rage. Her companions, most of whom were women of noble family, made the same request which he readily granted. He promised not to quit them till he had seen each of them safe in the arms of her relations. But he advised their deferring to quit the sepulchre for some time longer, 
when the popular fury should be somewhat calmed, and the arrival of military force have dispersed the multitude. Would to God, cried Virginia, that I were already safe in my mother's embraces. How say you, senor, will it be long ere we may leave this place? Every moment that I pass here I pass in torture. I hope not long, said he, but till you can proceed with security this sepulchre will prove an impenetrable asylum. Here you run no risk of a discovery, and I would advise your remaining quiet for the next two or three hours. Two or three hours? exclaimed Sister Helena. If I stay another hour in this vault I shall expire with fear. Not the wealth of worlds should bribe me to undergo again what I have suffered since my coming hither. Blessed Virgin, to be in this melancholy place in the middle of night, surrounded by the mouldering bodies of my deceased companions, and expecting every moment to be torn in pieces by their ghosts, who wander about me and complain and groan and wail in accents that make my blood run cold. Christ Jesus, it is enough to drive me to madness. Excuse me, replied Lorenzo, if I am surprised that while menaced by real woes, you are capable of yielding to imaginary dangers. These terrors are puerile and groundless. Combat them, holy sister. I have promised to guard you from the rioters, but against the attacks of superstition you must depend for protection upon yourself. The idea of ghosts is ridiculous in the extreme, and if you continue to be swayed by ideal terrors— Ideal? exclaimed the nuns with one voice. Why, we heard it ourselves, senor. Every one of us heard it. It was frequently repeated, and it sounded every time more melancholy and deep. You will never persuade me that we could all have been deceived. Not we, indeed. No, no, had the noise been merely created by fancy. Hark, hark, interrupted Virginia in a voice of terror. God preserve us. There it is again. End of chapter 10, part 1 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.